Hey everybody, this is Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio, and you're listening to episode number 269 of the podcast. Well, it's January 24th as I record this, and I'm in snowy, chilly New York City. No, I'm not in Park City, but that's okay. That's okay. I'm okay with that. I, I, I am. I'm, I'm reading all the articles and the reviews as they come in from the Sundance Film Festival, and I'm thinking to myself, it's okay. I don't have to be in the middle of the action all the time. I can relax. I can just sort of say, I don't have to be at everything. I don't have to be. A lot of people aren't there. I don't have to be there. And it's fine. Okay. I'm in New York City. And I am putting together an episode here that is great. The first segment is with this very talented comedian and talk show host named Scott Rogowski. What he does in front of a live audience, he puts together this talk show. He puts it up at venues such as Caroline's and UCB and other spots around New York. And I went recently to one of his shows and it was packed and the people loved it and he had great a-list actors and comedians. My friend Alex Karpovsky has done the show. Fellow podcaster Gilbert Gottfried has done the show. Past guest Dick Cavett has done his show. And a lot of Saturday Night Live people have gone on his show. He gets great guests. I'm jealous. But I got one guest that he couldn't get. And that's him. So on this episode, we're going to start with my conversation with Scott Rogowski And we're going to talk about talk, which is part of what I do. See, I don't just have to have filmmakers on my show. I want to also have other podcasters on my show. And I want to have other talk show hosts on my show. And I want to have comedians on my show. This is sort of me doing that. So this is just me dipping my toe again outside of my normal frame of reference. And I hope that you'll be there along with me. I think you will. Because, you know, it's a fun conversation. There are a lot of laughs. Me and Scott. His uh, uh, next show, by the way, is coming real soon. So if you're in the New York City area, and my apologies to those who are not, but if you are in the New York City area, you can come and uh, check out Scott's next show on January 29th at Caroline's. It's late in the evening, probably like 11 o'clock, 11.30. Check out the Caroline's website. Check out Running Late with Scott Rogowski, which is the name of his show. You can go to that website and get all the details. And I know he has a show coming out, I think, February 11th with Jerry Springer. So you can go to the event and actually see Jerry Springer and not, like, get caught in the crossfire between the girl who's been cheated on by her boyfriend who's sleeping with his with her brother or something like that. You know. So anyway, Jerry Springer will be at that show. Oh, in the upcoming one, I can't remember. Morgan Spurlock, I know, is one of the guests, but on the, tw- on the 29th of January, I'll be there. This episode is being sponsored by RealWorks. That's the organization which teaches high schoolers how to make documentaries. And they also have a program for mentoring these kids. It's a terrific organization that I am 100% proud to be aligned with. And they are in Park Slope, Brooklyn. And with every Friday night, they have a screening in the evening. They open the doors at 6.30 and start things up at 7. They usually start with a short by one of their kids and then they go into another film i was there a couple of weeks ago i spoke with uh, a filmmaker named squeaky moore she's also an actress her co-producer on a new film called face to darkness journey to healing 
Uh, his name is K.T. Nelson, and together they made this film. And it's about uh, what it is to, to have depression uh, in the African-American community and how tough it is for especially men, but everybody. Because there's a taboo. And uh, there are, therefore, an alarming number of suicides among African-American males. So we're going to talk about depression. We're going to talk about their film. Uh, we're joined by Dr. Uh, Boyce, who is a uh, healthcare professional, and she'll be joining us as well. Um, so that's a great segment, and that'll be coming up after that. I also include in this uh, segment a very brief conversation with one of the young filmmakers who himself has struggled with uh, depression and uh, filmmaking. So, uh, in fact, filmmaking has been, in a large part, part of his healing process. His name is Giovanni, and then we'll go into, after that, my conversation with, uh, with Squeaky Moore, K.T. Nelson, and Dr. Boyce. And finally, a documentary, uh, Born to Fly, Elizabeth Streb versus Gravity. Uh, and it was uh, it's a compelling documentary about uh, a dance company. Well, even to call them a dance company is not really to describe them accurately. They're a combination, uh, I, I don't know, very physical performance group slash dance company. Let's put it that way. They work out these performances, which are so intricate that even the slightest mistake could be a disaster, a physical disaster for the dancers because they put themselves in harm's way. But it's not just for the sake of putting themselves in harm's way. It's about a certain level of physicality, which you can only really appreciate if you see the film or see this group, of course, perform. They're based in Williamsburg. And uh, the name of the documentary is, again, called Born to Fly, Elizabeth Streb versus Gravity. The filmmaker and the guest is Catherine Gund. Believe it or not, Al Mazels shot some of the film. So it's got quite a crew behind it. It's one of the reasons I was so compelled to talk to her. The film is also distributed by Kino Lorber, which, I, you know, they put out such sensational films. And when I saw this one, I thought, I'm going to cover this film. I'm going to talk to the documentary filmmaker. I'm going to talk to the filmmaker behind it. And Catherine was fantastic. She was a great guest. Such, such a great guest. The kind you really hope to get. So full of stories and, and passion about what she's doing. And she invited me into this beautiful loft that she owns in, in downtown in New York. And uh, it was a pleasure to sit and talk to her. So this is the show. Um, one other thing. So it's a very jam-packed uh, episode, as you can tell. Uh, but let's go right now into my conversation with Scott Rogowski regarding his late-night talk show, Running Late with Scott Rogowski. This older gentleman to my right, who looks like me with an aging disease, is, uh, in fact, my father and sidekick, Marty Rogowski. Uh, 
And uh, you guys are about to witness a real live late night talk show at a real late night time slot. Yeah. <laughs> Little showbiz secret. Fallon, Letterman, Conan, Kimmel. Those guys tape their shows at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> like pussies. <laughs> they don't have the guts to bring it to you live at 11. With my show, I'm not hemmed in by the constraints of network television production. I don't have a staff of 120... I, I'm in Toronto at the Toronto International Film Festival, Scott Rogowski. Yes. One of the f- movies I saw, and I saw maybe seven, eight movies, was this, uh, the new David Gordon Green. Do you know David Gordon Green? I do. He shot. He has a series. You may also know he does uh, TV too now. Yeah. Well, he was doing uh, the the thing with Kenny Powers. Yeah, Eastbound and Down. Eastbound and Down. Well, he has a new movie which has not come out yet called Manglehorn, which stars Al Pacino and Holly Hunter. And it's a weird ass film by most people's standards, but not for Manglehorn. I wouldn't. It's. Oh, it's a very. You wouldn't think it'd be a weird movie with a name like Manglehorn. Yeah. It's as. Pacino plays a locksmith who is very antisocial and who has to pay for his, his cat's operation. The cat had swallowed a key. Mm. It's one of the biggest hazards of being a locksmith <laughs> and owning pets. <laughs> Apparently. Anyway, Holly Hunter is this meek bank teller. She has a crush on him. He comes to the bank every day, but he, he makes trouble and he's a difficult person, but she, she, she has an affection for him. Right. And she actually asks him... Like on a date, you know. He ends up taking her to this uh, senior center, <laughs> pancake-like pancake brunch dinner. special. Yeah. Bizarre, but she's crazy for him. It's like, so I see the movie, and then like a few days later, back in New York City, and I'm taking my these kids from my kid's school to their swim class, which is an after-school thing. And on the way back, I'm taking the the kids back to the school. But who's sitting on the steps outside of the school? Holly Hunter. Wow. And I'm like, I just saw you in Manglehorn in Toronto. That's bizarre. So it turns out. Did you mention that there? Yeah, I did. Yeah. It turned, I see her every day now because she wow. she's a parent. You gotta get her on the show. I, I know, but what am I doing tricky. here? She should be here right now, well, sitting in this chair. No, like, that is not true. I don't want Holly under. I want Scott Rogowski. Oh, That's the correct answer. <laughs> that is because she would. I would have been much more bizarre for me to talk that long without letting you say, get a word in. <laughs> if you were Holly Hunter, yes. But I thought that was weird. T- she did a play. I should have gone. That would. Have, that might have smoothed it over a little bit better. You didn't see her play. I didn't go. I should have gone to the play, and then I could have talked to her. Like you know, I loved it. About the play. Waited afterwards and talked to her, and right. she would have known who I right. was. You know, this is part of. If you're going to ask me about, are we, are we rolling it? Yeah, we are. If, if you're going to ask me about like how I book guests and things, I mean, this is going a to. prime example right. of, you know, if I saw Holly Hunter sitting on the steps and I knew she had a connection to my kid's school, you got to make every effort to make those ins to the conversation so you can follow up, follow up, yeah. and then you build a relationship, and then you ask to do the show. That's how it works. Right. I'd be volunteering to help the kids with homework. <laughs> I'd be picking them right. up from school, drop them. I mean, I would, <laughs> I would ingratiate myself to the Hunter family. Right. To the degree. To the point that, it, that, that <laughs> they could write a movie about how creepy mm-hmm. and stalkerish, you know, this after-school yeah. mentor has become. Right. I'm pretty sure we said no to Scott on, uh, you know, picking the kids up for school. <laughs> and he's out there. <laughs> I'm the boy next door, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'm waiting to cover that film. <laughs> My favorite part of the trailer is when he goes, I don't know what happens, but he, the line is, I can't. I'm the boy next door. He actually says the titular line. Yeah. The cha- well, you know, that's, I li- 
that's a mark of a good movie. It is that level of, of subtlety. Yes. You know. <laughs> How about you move starring, away from this kid? Uh, the script actually called for him to say, I'm the boy next door starring Jennifer, <laughs> Jennifer Lopez. Lopez. But... <laughs> it's in the outtakes. Yeah. <laughs> that movie, I think, so kind of corny, Dad. Like, it's going to be one of those movies that people, like, enjoy for... What? what? And then, so? I don't know. It's the New same York story. Times. They play that, that movie comes out every three years, that, that type yeah, of movie. Yeah, right. It's true. The psychotic uh, yeah. person that you don't know is psychotic. Of course, you do know. Right. So, like, there's no, there's no even... Why are we pretending in the first act right. that he's not psychotic? <laughs> there's always a line like, oh, my parents died in a mysterious crash. And that's and then you yeah. find out in the third act, <laughs> I killed my parents. Right. You know, yeah. he he did it. I believe uh, Mark Wahlberg played one of his early roles was playing a, a similar type of role, where he was also the kid that got pushed. I mean, like he was right the boyfriend. Yeah, going back to Cape Fear, or like uh, single white female. Right. And, uh, and and what what's kind of funny is looking back, single white female looks like you know Truffaut at this yeah, point you know, yeah. or something it, it, I mean when you look back those were two good actors right the quality movies yeah Fatal Attraction <laughs> yeah Disclosure yeah you know, it's so. like you sleep, you sleep with the wrong person and then it comes back it, to bite you yeah I, don't, I get yeah. that all the time oh yeah <laughs> the story of this, this podcast you're good on, on talking about film hey what do you think I'm some kind of chump I, you Craig know. Pause. <laughs> no I don't I actually don't because I'm a stage guy because I don't have movies well you do I, I, what am I good, doing here? I don't but, have a film. You don't have on. a film, but I'm because you're an example of what we're. we're uh, I'm trying to right. bro- broaden my my show a little bit for sure. And do you remember Spy? I don't know if you remember Spy Magazine. They used to have this uh, little feature at called Log Rolling in Our Times, which was basically where they would show two authors' book jackets, like where they would quote, like Philip Roth is. You know, this is Philip Roth's most brilliant novel yet, Saul Bellow. And then on the Saul Bellow jacket, <laughs> Philip Roth, you know, this is like the Bellow's best. Right. And, you know, it would show that kind of thing. Right. So this is a little of that, too. Yeah, we're but here to pat each other's backs. In that I do a talk show, a very different kind than you do, but you do a talk show. And so I'm kind of curious. I, like, I, I'm curious to relate on that level so, also. So we're here to plug your 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 upcoming show. Absolutely. <laughs> Should we, yeah. Should we introduce it? Yes. Yeah, you want to so, introduce me properly? How do you want to do this? <laughs> uh, yeah, let's... He's giving me uh, pointers. This is how not to do a talk show over on this side of the conversation. Scott Rogowski. Yeah. R-O-G-O-W-S-K-Y. And the name of your show is... Uh, Running Late with Running Scott Rogowski. It's a great title. Yeah. Uh, I was on time this morning. You were... Com- uh, I was right. Early. You were. Here's the thing. You have created a talk show... Which is done live, mm-hmm. but is a ready package. You've obviously honed it, and it's so it's really well booked. And basically, any day a producer is going to spot it and to say, "There's so little. All we need to yeah. do is put them in a building." Exactly. Or I- I'm pitching ideas now to production companies, and right. I'm saying, "Forget the building. I don't need the studio." I, I think because it's all about innovation. <laughs> oh, I see. On the theme, because you know, for 60 years we've had talk shows right. in a studio uh, yeah. with a white guy. You know, so I'm, I'm still a white guy. I can't change that. But I, I can I'll innovate in the sense that I want to take my show to the streets. I want to, you know, use the city as right. my set. Oh, I see. So it could be like a, a roving pop-up yeah, talk pop show. Yeah, pop-up talk show. That's exactly. a good idea, Ambush too. talk show. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I should spill all my all secrets thoughts, here. Right. But uh, 
you know, we've got some ideas cooking. But look, I'll also take a studio show. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll do whatever. Yeah, but you're exactly right. It's, it, I'm waiting for the book. Because, you know, all the time you hear, oh, even this James Corden, a late, late show. You know, they always pick a new host. This guy's never hosted a talk show. This guy, James Corden, he was in Into the Woods as the baker. Uh, the new I haven't seen movie. Yeah, I haven't seen either. But okay. he's you know he's a British guy, okay. UK guy. Uh, oh, he's replacing, he's replacing Craig Ferguson. Craig Ferguson, who the last oh. months of that were, I mean, well, that's another. I didn't watch it. Okay, I would check in once in a while. Yeah, and I'm like you know, uh, we'll and see, uh, he was so off, going like, off the rails. Off. Yeah, there was no. Uh, well, he he was like that for most of his reign there. He he's. <laughs> He's an interesting guy. I mean, I, I don't know how many people watch this show, but I, when I watched it, it was actually refreshing to see him yeah. kind of t- do away with the monologue concept. And he was very personal and very off book. I mean, he wouldn't even look at his question cards. You, you could say maybe he was phoning it in or just goofing around. But um, it actually it, 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 it was like a fresh approach compared to the other shows. No, it's very true. But by the last few months there, or after he, it was announced that he was not coming, yeah. that he was leaving the show. Yeah, it was like he just brought in this horse. I mean, two guys in a horse yeah. costume. And what was the other thing? Oh, a robot in the. In, he, he was just he, like these the, the two. robot sidekick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was had, relatively new. I, I don't know. know. He said that for a year. Oh, yeah, he said that for a few years. Yeah. Okay. But but that's my point. I mean, he's got this robot sidekick. Yeah, I don't know what it's like to write for that guy show because it just seems like he. It's like let's come up with crazy concepts. But he he doesn't seem to go on, on any kind of script. He just. Well, uh, I'm sure you know what you're getting if you're writing yeah, a writer. There. Yeah. But. Um, Anyway, but the point is, you, I mean, so they they take they, they take yeah, these guys yeah. and they go, let's give him a talk show. He's never hosted a show, but, you know. Seth Meyers even. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we've we like Seth Meyers. Let's give him a talk show, but he's never done it before. He's you know, here I am. I've been doing this for six years, and it's already made mm-hmm. and it's ready to be plugged in. Mm-hmm. You don't need to. Oh, let's give Matt Damon a talk show. It's like, just you know, right. how about you try this kid? Yes, he doesn't have Matt Damon's name. He doesn't have Seth Meyers' name, but. Right. He's got he's got what it takes. Right. And actually there is a something now of a history though of 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 trying giving a shot to uh, like, you know, uh really funny people that aren't that well known. I mean, yes, Seth Meyers is a good example of somebody who is funny and well like they probably he's probably the result of mar- um, of test marketing oh, or it's something. 11 years of being on SNL, you know. Yeah, it's right. uh, and then Lauren and Michaels, Michaels the show, yeah. so, right? So, but, but, but it's uh, but you but, know, Conan O'Brien was exactly picked out of thought. obscurity. Yeah. Right. Uh, even though, and he even though he was a writer for SNL and Simpsons. Right. So, so yeah, I, I still don't even have those right. <laughs> those accolades. No, I but mean, you do have a show which is a new thing and you have like you could show you have uh, and and for those listening out there, you have every episode on YouTube. Or off your yeah. site, you can see them. Except and for the last few where my camera guy screwed up, and I don't have, <laughs> I have one angle. Oh, really? So I couldn't post a couple of the last couple shows, but it's all right. I've can got, you, I mean, it's fine. Clip, could use clips, though? Yeah, I, I guess, but, you know, one angle shots. But here, here's what I'm trying to, you know, launch for this, this year. The podcast, Adam, because sure. we need more podcasts mm-hmm. on this planet. Well, I talked to you about that. You, you I know. Say, you seem to be like... I was totally little... backwards. <laughs> I, I just never... Look, I listen to podcasts, but I'm not the kind of person who, who listens to them you know, on the subway or the gym or something. I kind of I have a lot of time at home, and I put them on when I'm working and things. But apparently people, you know, they can't watch video clips of my show on the train, or they don't want to. Or they, so the podcast, the audio only... I, I was kind of missing the whole point of that, how how important that is for a podcast to exist. Um, as a marketing... As a as, it's just, marketing a, as just a delivery device. Okay. So people can hear your content. Right. I'm well, thinking I put all my clips on YouTube. Yeah. That's good enough. YouTube. Who, who doesn't watch YouTube? But 
most people only watch YouTube when they're sitting at their office, or desktop computer, or whatever, yeah. laptop. But it's the mobile that 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 side of it. You know, you put the podcast on your headphones, you can walk around the city and listen to it. That's what I was missing. Okay, are you saying that you're going to do an additional show, or are you going to just extract the audio and put that? Yeah, on, that's, yeah, we're going to extract the audio because yeah, they're yeah. right. Okay, that makes sense. So it's only you know people do live podcast tapings now, which are essentially. Talk yeah, shows. Yeah. Well, that's what, shows. yeah. I'm trying to get into that too. Yeah. It's just I'm I'm trying to do it in the context of film festivals, mm. not not what you're doing. That's a great I, idea. Yeah. And in a way, it's like what you're you're a comedian. You are doing that in a comedy context. Yeah. Like you're doing them at UCB and other spots. Right. Where Caroline's Comedy Caroline's, Club now. Oh, very good. Yeah. So, uh, when I'm just trying to do the same thing only in the film context so i'm going i think yeah. festivals is where I, i'm going to have my success because or if not like i do it at a film screening place a one-off where they where it's a film joint like videology and i did a, a one there it's a good bar to do that that kind of thing in but in general i think festivals is my my best place it's a great idea you know so i'm i'm putting a show together there's a monologue we do sketches we do things so you know you don't see jimmy fallon with a podcast you don't see david letterman with a podcast because people watch their clips online. So that's why I was thinking, okay, I'll have my clips alongside theirs. The only one who does it is Kevin Pollack. He, oh, Kevin he Pollack. has the uh, Hulu show. or right. uh, I'm not sure if it's made for Hulu or if they're uh, funding it. I'm not positive. But he also audio podcasts. The audio podcasts. That's the only yeah. one I know about yeah. that does that. I'm sure there might be others. So that's that's the plan for this year. i got to go back to the archives and kind of re-upload all these interviews I've done. But, um, you know, it's... Yeah. Uh, well, have the intern do it. Yeah. And, uh, well, first of all... Uh, for also for the audience, uh, the, the, for the, their their uh, their edification, novel, edification, good word. Uh, the, we were introduced by a mutual friend, mm -hmm. one owner to Cal, who yes. seems to be in the vortex of all my guests. He really so, is, huh? Yeah. yeah, keeps coming back to owner. And uh, so he introduced us, and then it was like, well, we could probably help each other along. We haven't done a fantastic job of that, <laughs> and it's taken about a year for us to even sit down here. That's true. But I did come to one of your shows yes, you did. with the intention of coming to more. And uh, I've listened to more than one of your shows. Thank I've listened you. to I've downloaded I'm a subscriber on right. iTunes. Uh, great. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, so there's that. There, the, the, right. Just put that housekeeping out of the way. The other thing is, shit, what was I going to say? Oh, yes. Came Why I, th I came to the show. You, you have the conventions of a of a late night talk show except that you're you're doing different things smartly so your sidekick is your dad and i think that was just just hysterical yeah i think and you too you have this incredible on stage rapport i don't know if you're even talking off stage no, we, we haven't talked in years <laughs> off stage but uh my dad marty is yeah he's been doing this since we've been doing the show for over three years now and uh He's been there since the beginning, um, and we actually just put a video out. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but no. it's uh, I just put a new video for Playboy.com. So if you go to Running Late Facebook page, I actually haven't posted mm -hmm. it on my website yet because I'm bad about updating that, but <laughs> there's a video tindering with my parents. My, my dad and my mom and me <laughs> are on Tinder. Uh -huh. my, they're overlooking my shoulder and, and telling me who I should swipe right and left. And how, oh, I don't I know see. if you're familiar with Tinder, these yes. dating apps. I've heard You've heard about Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, and that's primarily for hookup. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean or not. Or entirely. Yeah. So that, well, that's part, of the, that, that's part of the tension in this right. video. My parents, are, this, is, are you trying to hook up? Are you trying to find a wife? Mm -hmm. You know, that's like the, the first act cliffhanger. Which is their version of saying, get a wife. Yes. Yeah. Basically, they want me. So then we go to J-Swipe, the Jewish Tinder, because that's oh. kind of a prerequisite. I had that. Uh, I, this is the first time hearing yeah, that. Yeah, J Swipe. Okay. Shout out to J Swipe. J Swipe. Uh, <laughs> it has like they're calling it J S Wipe. Yeah, you know, it just it doesn't it doesn't ring. <laughs> to, uh, that's but it's funny how you use your parents. It's uh, a good foil. 
Yeah. And it's it's it is a good report. I like to be able to you know trash him a little bit. We kind of have a we, yeah. we jaw back and forth a little bit. Definitely. He's but fast. He's, yeah, he's, he's quick. He's quick. But you're quick in that, you know, you're well, you're not snarky. Uh, 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 you you I can think be cutting. You can be a little. Yeah, but it, I don't like gotta, I don't like the word snarky. I, yeah. I think I, I think I can cut. I mean, my, some ex girlfriends mm-hmm. will tell me that I, mm-hmm. I, I, a bit of a saber tongue. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but your dad is just almost like unwittingly sharp uh, and and quick. Yeah, like he'll say something that seems really really like. Like wow, that that is funny comeback. And how'd you think of that so fast? Because you don't think a guy who's maybe in his late sixties. I don't know yeah, what your sixty six, sixty six, mid sixties. You know, you just think he's square. But you you're know? absolutely right. It's unwitting. He has no idea. He's right. saying, he's saying these yeah, things. He doesn't even know that. He doesn't know they're clever. Right. I mean, <laughs> there was one famous example. We had Dick Cavett on the show, and um, yeah, there was some sexual conversation. Taking place, we were talking about. I think Betty Davis on Dick Cavett's show. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the '60s, he asked uh, Cavett asked Betty Davis, "You know, when did you lose your virginity?" And then, and then we, we so I was talking to Dick Cavett about all that. And in the course of this conversation, my dad made some remark, and then he comes back with, "There was an opening. I had to go for it." <laughs> you know, so he said that the place cracks up. Everyone and Dick Cavett thinks it's hilarious. And in my dad's lab, later on, I'm like, Dad, did you realize, you know, the opening, the double entendre with yeah. the sexual stuff? He had no idea. Right. <laughs> he, had, he had no idea that he made this really clever that's, joke. Maybe that's some sort of, <laughs> like, uh, dysfunction or some sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, pathology. Yeah, that, no, it's just, it's just, I think actually, he's square. The bottom line is he's a very right. square guy, but... Who happens to be... But he happens to be, like, he, you know... Not turned into, not tuned into his own level of quick-witted. Exactly. Because... It's an know. unintentional hilarity that I've always found with him. Um, but, you know, I was thinking about this, like, some parents, I don't know what your relationship with your parents are like, but, you know, did you get into film or hip things because of them? Did they, were they, you know, watching Cassavetes yes. with you? Were they, yeah? Yeah. Well, yeah, they were, they were, yeah. So, you know, I never had any of that. I mean, my, right. my parents, both my parents, in terms of music, art, culture, movies, nothing. Uh-huh. You know, they, they, my dad never pulled me over and said, hey, I want to show you Apocalypse Now. You know, I want to show you oh, really? Deer Hunter. Uh-huh. You know, no. It, 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 I had to find these things on my own, mm-hmm. and um, you know, music. My dad's got Barry Manilow live record. That's his big right, right. Also pri- understood. Enough said. You know, yeah. 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 So yeah. it's just th- there's nothing there, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering how did I, you know, how did I get interested in these things? Yeah. Maybe it's a pushback well, to that. Do? I really, I honestly don't. I mean, going to summer camp opened mm-hmm. my open myself up to certainly the musical side of things, right? And then I think. Um, you know, going to college, and you just, I don't know, you, you meet older people. I never had older siblings. <sighs> I, I just have a curiosity. Not even I, once? Not even once, no. <laughs> not even for a few okay. years in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, or even older cousins or anything who really helped help me navigate these things. Right. It, you, it's, no no mentor. No in mentor. That way. Yeah. Oh, right. But, you know, the, the started with the music, I guess when I was in high school, and then I guess that bled into films. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just being in the city, I think my roommates, fresh, my, my first uh, first roommates in New York City helped a lot, even though they were younger. These comedians, they were uh, Sean O'Connor and Nick Maritato, I can name drop them. Sean's doing big things now, and so is Nick. And, uh, you know, they were just very into even more music and, and, and cool movies and things. And, and even though I was a little bit older, mm-hmm. I hadn't been exposed to this stuff. So that was right. kind of cool. And then meeting their friends and meeting other comedians. And comedians are very well-versed in pop culture. Sure. Of course. So, yeah, you kind of have to be. To yeah. No, how can you... Uh just to make references. Yeah, summer camp. I would say that that was a huge influence on myself, too. Yeah. Summer camp, really. Even though I did have par- kind of parents back in the 70s were introducing me just vicariously to, uh, or through osmosis, uh, I got introduced to a lot of, 
you know, the world cinema and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Kentucky Fried Movie. And <laughs> Kentucky Fried Movie. <laughs> Porky's. Porky's. Uh, all all four two, or five, yeah, or yeah. however many. And Fellini. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, and, yeah, and Fellini. And, my dad doesn't. Even, my dad thinks it's a pasta. You know, he has no idea. Antonini. Yeah. yeah. You know, exactly. It's Rossellini. Rossellini. It's nice with a little pesto. Yeah. Gotcha. So now that you're where you're at, and you did have discovered all all this and incorporated into into your act, and what is your dad? How does your dad? Like think he, about, what his days think are numbered. That? His days are numbered. Yeah, he's, I mean, <laughs> soon as he can get, I, you know, we 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 we've gone back and forth because I love having my dad there, and there's people love having the fact that I have yeah, my dad there. That's that cool. dynamic. So cool. And I don't sure I don't want to lose that. The girls think that's really sexy. Girls love it, but you know, he doesn't really offer the kind of support I need from a sidekick. I mean, he's no Andy Richter. Right. You know, I, I would love to have someone who actually can uh, can add jokes and really follow yes, up and right. co- color commentary. Sure. Um, your, your comedy wing, man. Yeah, my comedy wing. But it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's more of a... Uh, he does some of that, but it's uh, it's lacking. So there's this guy named James Bewley who plays this character, Dale Seaver, who I had fill in for my dad once as a sidekick. He's a very funny character. Right. And I've been trying to get him more involved into the show, and I was thinking maybe this is the season that we make him the sidekick and put, move my dad to an announcer role or move him somewhere. But I, I don't know. I think... I, this this dad sidekick thing, I don't want it to be a gimmick. Is the other thing I don't want this to be. Oh, that's, there's the guy whose dad is his sidekick. You know. I, well, I don't because I, I don't I, think I don't, that is even the right. main thrust of of what we're trying to do. I mean, I think yeah. I'm offering something beyond that. Right. Sure. Um, but you know, but people. I mean, every email I get from people who see the show for the first time. Oh, your dad's so funny. I loved your dad. He's so cute yeah. and all these things. Right. So I don't know. The, the people have spoken yeah. at him. You might have to do, again a little bit more market testing. Yeah, but Dale Seaver's going to come on this first show, January 29th. Okay, we'll do a bit. And yeah, we got Morgan Spurlock on right. the 29th, filmmaker. That's wonderful. I Judy, know. Judy Gold, comedian, She's Daily Show writer Trayvon Free. Okay. And I emailed Desiree Akavan, who I don't know if you've talking to her. She's got this movie, yeah. Appropriate Behavior. I do know Desiree. She's uh, she uh, she was in my first live. Podcast. Oh really? Yeah. She she last uh, year I did a live podcast last summer. Well, I went to high school with Desiree. Oh, okay. And Hallie Pfeiffer, who's also a, a filmmaker yes. and an actress, in, in, is in Desiree's movie. Is she the blonde one? She's the blonde one. Yeah, I do know. I do. I remember her. So uh, I, I, I'm thinking maybe Desiree could join the show, but... Um, tight. Tight. But, well, I, know, she, but, I don't know the schedule of girls right now. Yeah. I, so clearly, they're between seasons in terms of their shoot I think they production. shot. I think they shot everything already. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, so she's going to be at the Athena Film Festival in a few weeks, which I'm, I'm going to. Uh, I heard. believe she's going to be on uh, if it because uh, I heard that she was going to get involved in one of the panels and stuff. So she's around. Yeah, she's having a moment right now. I'll say it's amazing. This is my high school class: Hallie Pfeiffer, Desiree Akavan. Mm-hmm. My good friend Eli was just named Forbes thirty under thirty for finance. We've got uh, you know mm-hmm. who else? We've got a pretty pretty stacked high school class. Yeah. Do you put yourself in there too? I mean, yes, of course. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't have Desiree's uh, accolades here. Well, you know, first of all, I, I mean, I, I think it depends how you measure things. You you created something out of nothing. Yeah, which is a lot more than most people. Yeah, that's what it's all about. You know, I just I, you got You're creating it. We're all creating things. I like to consume too, but I like to right. produce. I want to yeah. leave my mark some somehow. I don't want to just consume everything. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. I think it's a great show, and you do do a great job of booking it. I know what's involved in that. Yeah. So I know it's a lot of work. Yeah, without a booker, I mean, I tried, you know, I, I always have these glimmers of hope. I had this booker who I responded to, uh, I guess, a LinkedIn request. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was a TV booker for 20 years, and I was thinking, this is going to be great. She's, yeah. she, you know, the first list she sends me, 
she goes, we, we met up and it was very nice. And so, okay, I'm happy to do this for you on the side. And sends me a list of p- potential guests. You know, Mel Brooks, Larry David, Roseanne Barr, uh, Tony Danza, Ralph Macchio. You know, I was like, are any of these people going to say, yeah, I'll take, uh, I'll take any of them, really. You know, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, you know, if you, yeah. can, if you happen to get me Mel Brooks, I guess I'll take oh, yeah, Mel Brooks. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, are you kidding uh-huh. me? I was like, yes, please, you know, <laughs> go to the mattresses. Right. And, of course, none of them worked out. And, you know, she kept sending me more names, more names, and not yeah. booking any of them. Right. So, there was a guy that worked at the laundry room downstairs. Yeah. That so was finally, the guy she was able to successfully right. by the time we got We got a cab driver. Home. Yeah. But uh, not you know, and I know Ralph Macho works, but that it seems to me you could have you could get Ralph Macho right, without help, right? Like right. you could probably if you just get the right contact. Uh, I know, I know. It's connection. all about getting the contact, the connection. Yeah. I just got uh, made the amazing Kreskin. Remember Kreskin, the mentalist from the car show? Remember, I went to his 80th birthday a couple weeks ago. I was a guest of uh, a friend of mine, Mark Malkoff, invited okay. me, and then so now I got Kreskin's <laughs> assistance email, and I'm really? trying to get him on the show. And, and Roger Ailes was there, the head of Fox News. Sure. I shook Roger Ailes' hand. Well, that's yours, too. I, yeah, that's my you shame. Know. You know the photograph of Rumsfeld and Hussein? Yeah. From, like, 1980s? You know, they came back to haunt him. I was yeah. afraid someone would take a picture of me shaking Roger Ailes' I'm hand sure in 20 years. Yeah. yeah they're, they're gonna, that's going to surface. The new face of Fox News. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it, though. My Huckabee maybe show he, got canceled. Yeah, and maybe Roger will be your new sidekick. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah, any of those people. like I, Morgan Spurlock, I, I've kind of off and on have tried to... Uh, I, I have interviewed him. I'll before. hook it up. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I have I have interviewed him. Okay. And I might even have an email for Morgan Sperling. Yeah. But I did interview him once or twice, but not for the podcast. So I don't yeah, have. Yeah, we'll a, get him on the podcast. He's, he's got the new season of Inside Man coming out. That's oh, why he's that's great. It's actually premieres. I think last night it premiered. Oh wow. Okay. Um, so yeah, that would be perfect. Yeah, that'd be great. Yes. I love that. And, See people you know, listening. Will, this is how I it works. Con- I will personally also reach out to Desiree. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, I emailed. I emailed her last night. I have her. Oh, okay. I have Give her, her a couple of days. Um, yeah, but if you want, busy. I can t- also. Uh, but you know, to come out and do this show, and but and, and then I'll let her know about you, and then yeah, if you I see her again, definitely mention. And uh, I'll mention also. Well, I I don't know how soon. Oh, right at, at the, the film festival. Thing, yeah, but also there's a chance she may have decided to go to Sundance. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like her, she doesn't have a film. Did, this she, do, year, did she do Sundance she might, last year? That, that, that her film. Yeah, her film premiered there. Yeah, at Sundance last year. So. She it's just go she went back. Yeah. To like, hang out. Or she could have been on the jury. You never know. God. I mean, who knows? I don't know how that so, works. I don't. You have been. You go to Sundance a lot, don't you? No. No? I, more, I'm talking to you. <laughs> Is it happening right now? Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's first day. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, I said no. I'm, I, I booked. Scott. No, I, yeah, exactly. Did, yeah. You haven't had, you didn't have uh, Jenny, uh, though, on the show. Jenny uh, Slate. Jenny Slate. I did have Jenny Slate back in 2011. You she did was my have second her. show I had her on. You had her on, so that's good. Jenny Slate, Vanessa Bayer, Cecily yeah, Strong, yeah. Sashir Zameda, John Milheiser. Those are the Most of people. the cast members have gotten fired. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I remember that, by the way, that was the other thing. The show I made it to, it was. Who was on that one? That was the one where there was two Saturday Night Live. And one uh, of them was fired that day, right. or it was, that came was, out that it was. Yeah, I'm sure Bill Heiser this year, and Gilbert Godfrey was on Gilbert, that one. Gilbert, talking about his podcast, hysterical. Which I, do you do you listen to it? Oh, it's amazing. Don't you love it? I love his it. guests are so great. The old time um, Hollywood oh stuff God. they talk about. Ugh. It is so terrific that they have on these really old time got. People. I'm learning so much from that. Talk yeah. about how you learn things and get references. Yeah, I mean, just, I would love to get him on the show. Oh, I, I show I, again, I could probably get make that happen for well, you. If anything, you know, so let's get back on that. I mean, when you came to me with your first request was Ken Burns. <laughs> well, I shoot yeah. high. I'm aiming high. He's here now. Let me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's Ken over Burns. making a sandwich. So Rick Burns, I can probably get you. <laughs> Rick is his brother who actually doesn't wear a wig. Uh. Uh, but um, that has to come out. 
Otherwise, I really will never Uh-oh. get Ken Burns on my show again. <laughs> Ken Burns, I would love to have gotten Ken Burns, but I would, I would have had more success getting the, the Central Park Five on your show. Yeah. And that's why, because he had, you know, was in on the, the documentary about Yeah. Them. So that's how I got him on, and, um, and I pr- probably could have gotten him on your show easier. Ladies and gentlemen, the Central Park Five. Yes. Kind of take it down, and I let Not rapists. Everybody. Everybody. They were exonerated. <laughs> yeah. We thought of, they were. A lot of great comedy. In They're them. not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's yeah. okay. And they just made millions off the city, by the way. So <laughs> okay. Don't what do they do with their, their rate money like that? What, what, do, you, what do you do with that? That's Bounty. Not, it's not rate money. It's well, non-rate yeah, money. Non-rate money. I catch up on a lot of shit they missed probably. In <laughs> How many years they spend in jail? Well, some of them, yeah, at least uh, a really long time, but doesn't. I would buy the jail. I would buy the, the prison. I'd look at the uh, East Memphis Three. These, yeah, the Three. They were in. 17 years or something. Okay, that guy just got out. Yeah. Damien Eccles. And he was <sighs> on death row. Amazing. You know? How so. screwed up is our... Let's, let's talk about that for the next 10 seconds. Yeah. How screwed up is our judicial system? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We can't exactly. get into that. No, we have to stop, but, unfortunately. Oh, no, sorry. But runninglateshow.com. Yes, please. Where you can find uh, more information about running late. And then January 29th, 9.30 at Caroline's on Broadway. Morgan Spurlock, Judy Gold, Trayvon Free, maybe Desiree Akhavan. And then February 26th. Oh, February 11th, we're at UCB with Jerry Springer. Oh right, I did. Jerry, that's Jerry. Yeah. So, uh, so are you going to throw a chair at him? I, I, we got to we got to figure, figure something out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that would be something great. Comedic. Yeah, but that would be very good. That's that's fantastic. But, uh, yeah, it's yeah. a lot of shows. Season seven, we just we're launching and uh, monthly at Caroline. So runninglateshow.com, dot com, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. Um, and yeah, tell your friends. Bring it's a fun night, right? You it were is there. A lot of fun. No, it's a ton of fun. Yeah, it's a live talk show. You can get drunk. Mm-hmm. You can't do that at a Letterman taping. I mean, you could, but you get much more discreetly. Yeah, yeah. But well, this is a pleasure, best, Adam. Thank you for coming all the way out and doing this, and th- and say my best to your dad and mom. I will, and uh, and 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 I will make every attempt to come to one of those next shows. How's that? You're I, always welcome. You're well, always comped. Thank you. thank you. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Comped for life. That that's pretty heady. Number Even four. When you replace your dad with Matt Damon. No, <laughs> exactly. That, that you might want to consider that one. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thank you. Very Thanks, much. Adam. Appreciate it. Okay. How would you describe me? A thoughtful. A thoughtful. Re- uh, I was going to say responsible, but that's maybe not so much. How would you really describe me? Okay, really describe you. A great guy who only dresses through Salvation Army clothes. How about my parents want grandkids, right? Right. Now you're talking. If you like the girl, yes. you swipe it right. Okay. If you don't like it, you swipe left. Uh, this is basically oh, online shopping for oh women. My God. How would you feel about me going home with an Asian girl, Mom? Well, I prefer that you go home with a Jewish girl. Which one is Uh-oh. Megan? Which one is Megan? This is one of the great <laughs> mysteries of Tinder. It's a great mystery. They put, put a lot of pictures in there, and you yeah. got to figure it out. It turns you into Matlock, right? Now we're narrowing it down. Now there are two of them in there. Uh-oh. Still don't know which one. Oh, another group shot. They try Uh-oh. to trick you, but only 13 miles away, so you know, so she's nearby. Victoire. 24. Who comes up with these names? Oh, she's I, French. I assume her parents. Jennifer. She's got an arm around a guy. What is that? Uh, I'm jealous already. I am a little jealous. Okay, now into this um, segment with uh, the mental health film, Face to Darkness, Journey to Healing. Uh, I just want to say that um, before I, I, I play that conversation. I'm going to do a short segment here, just a couple of minutes, with uh, one of the Real Works kids. He made a film about his own fight with depression and how filmmaking, in a sense, became his own prescription and part of the process of his own healing. And truly, I believe that filmmaking played a part in saving his life. His name is Giovanni, 
And we're going to we'll go into that, and then we'll go right into my conversation after that with uh, Katie Nelson, uh, Squeaky Moore, and Dr. Boyce. I have to think of ideas for narration without moping around too much. So there is a child in a small room with no light, but he can see the outside. The room isn't necessarily scary, but what the child can see outside is terrifying to him. So then, the child seeks a safe haven in the corner of the room, and then begins to build up confusion as to how will he escape, how will he get to the outside. And that to me is my definition of what depression feels like. I think I've been in the room for too long. So you are you 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 did this film called Giovanni the movie, right? Yes. How old are you? I'm seventeen. Seventeen, and which where high what high school do you go to? I go to Cardinal Hayes. It's Cardinal an all boys school in the South Bronx. Is that your cardigan? Yes. Is that is that a uniform? Mm-hmm. In the South Bronx, and so how did you hear about Real Works? Right after being in uh, <coughs> a psychiatric ward, actually, mm-hmm. I had somebody come over to my house weekly and check up on me. Yeah. And she was so supportive. She helped me search for film programs. Mm-hmm. and Why? Because Why I told her pro- I love film. Uh, mm-hmm. Ever since from a young age, I would, like, literally after, like, watching a VCR tape after multiple times, I would just take out the recording and just see, like, what it really looks like. Really? Just want to – I want to be involved in it and <laughs> – you would watch movies over and over? Yes. Did you think more than just like, you know, you're thinking, I like the movie, obviously, so I want to see it again. And mm-hmm. But there was something else driving you to watch it multiple times. Did you understand that you had a deeper interest, you know, other than just sort of the entertainment? Maybe there was like even a, you had an interest in how it got made and who's involved and how does it work? Did, was that what was already creeping into your consciousness? Is that Yes, definitely. Um, I think that applies for most things I do. It's really how my mind works. It's that I always have this thirst of information, and I always want to find a reason for why. Mm -hmm. That's what really helps me in my writing, and what um, really helps me when I'm writing scripts or movies is just... I'm always searching for a reason why. So then when I was younger, when I was watching like VCR tapes of like Monsters Inc. or the old Pokemon movies, I'd just be like, okay, why exactly does this happen? And now, the structure of the film, like, yes, you know, more than the technical aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. So now that I've been involved with the Real Works program for over a year now, I've broken down rather than viewing movies scene by scene, but really admiring every movie frame by frame. <laughs> you're exaggerating, but you're like, uh, you know what they say? They call beat beat by beat, and almost which yes. are parts of scenes and parts of. But I, I understand exactly what you mean. So before you mentioned uh, that you were hospitalized, mm-hmm. is that right? Yes. For depression, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, I saw your, I know because I saw, I saw your movie and it was very, very personal and, yes. and, and, and really in, moving. And was the, was the finally engaging in filmmaking for you? Was that turned out to be something that played a role in your recovery or uh, your, you know, an ongoing recovery? Uh, yes, that's how I definitely view filmmaking for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more than just a hobby. It's really what I would like to pursue in a career. And being here at Real Works was, was a real first step in like actually engaging in a, like, a place that I can receive feedback and not feel like 
I have to look up all this information on the internet and feel like alone. Do you understand? Yeah, sure do. Um, and really having that human connection here and in such a relaxed location, it really made it easy for me to really, after like reviewing my footage that I've captured and really see, okay, this is really me. Like it was really a, a cathartic mm -hmm. release. And definitely, that's how I view mm -hmm. every, all my works. I'm sure you know. Your, I, I remember your folks were interviewed. You, you interviewed your folks in the in the movie, and I'm sure also just that they must be terribly excited for you and relieved, and that you know you did find this prescription. You know that happens also to be uh, can be also a, a whole career for you. You know, um, and I think there is one for you. I wish I were, when I was 17, I had the, the faintest idea. <laughs> so congratulations on all that. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very, like, I have, I'm very privileged. I have all these resources at school and outside at Real Works. It's great. Yeah. And and people can find Giovanni, the movie, by going to, uh, is it on Vimeo or is it? It's on Vimeo and Google. Just You can just search, search it up by going on Google and searching for Giovanni, the movie. So right. J-H-O-V-A-N-N-Y, the movie. Yeah, and we'll link to it, you know, in, in terms of the show notes and all that. So, well, it's a pleasure to meet you, and I hope to meet you again. And next time, you'll you'll be on the show with uh, your feature. That'd be great. All right, great. Thanks. Hello, everybody. Oh. Hi. <laughs> Let's see. I'll introduce everybody, and and maybe occasionally I'll remind people who's talking, so those listening won't be too challenged. In my company here today, we have Squeaky Moore, actor. Hi. And what director, other director? Writer, right. Producer, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, Katie Nelson, who is your work par partner on some work, obviously, right? You too. Yes, we're partners on uh, a film called Face of Darkness. It's a documentary film. The, right, the documentary about mental illness, but specifically how it affects African American men. Is that safe to say? Yes. All right. Welcome, Katie. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much. Oh, I appreciate your coming on. And last, but definitely not least, Dr. Kanika Boyce. Thank you, Dr. Boyce. Thank you, Adam. It's a pleasure to be joining both Squeaky Moore and KT Nelson in discussing this very important project today. I'm a trauma-informed mental health practitioner, so I'm looking forward yeah. to the discussion. Oh, me too. And if anyone listening, also, if you hear rather ominous sounds and thundering <laughs> noises in the background, right. it's not our indigestion. Though that may sneak up, we we had a little pizza party, <laughs> and now we're actually at the offices of Real Works in Brooklyn. The topic of the day and of the screening and of our conversation is the mental illness, but uh, specifically, uh, as you referred to uh, the subject of of your film, mental illness, the social and cultural effects of that. But it's such a taboo, and how that's only exacerbated the problem. In fact, the one of the causes of it, if you internalize. Absolutely. It, it gets much, much worse, right? To, oh to desperation. Well, it's... This is squeaky talking. Hi. Um, it's worse because, you know, and I'm a person who suffered from anxiety and depression. Yeah. And what made it worse is because you, you do feel alone. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. And that was my biggest thing, being alone with it and not feeling like I could go. Or, right. You know, being alone. Right. And not feeling like I could really go to my family um, or friends because shame. Um, it's not shame. It's I mentioned it, yeah. but 
it's the idea of when people move on with their lives while you're still in the middle of yeah. what you're doing and their lives go on but your life is feels like it's at a halt it's completely stopped I and see. you're just there to suffer and try to figure out how to get up and over this you feel real stuck stuck yeah so there's two levels of isolation on one level there's the the internalizing that you don't feel like you can talk about it to to people that care about you it's just too much work psychologically to you feel like you're going to bother people or low, unload. Weigh and, them down. Weigh them down. With your burden. Yeah. Oh, no, not them again. That kind of That's mm-hmm. you talking. Not mm-hmm. And then there's the, uh, there is this social, there are social taboos yeah. uh, that, that exist that are not just imagined that that do exist. So that's another level to it. It's really, KTFs. Yeah, I just think that also there's a major element when you're going through depression that people might think that you're crazy. And that's the terminology that people use all the time, you know. And that person even crazy. in 2015, yeah. I don't hear that as much. Okay, is it's, it, cra- it's cray cray. They yeah. may use cray that. Cray. That's what people well, say. In my family, I don't hear cray cray too much. <laughs> <laughs> Different terminology. Um, no, no, I understand. But is yeah. that in se- just insensitivity? What is that about? It's a word that's you um, loosely used. Um, yeah. I mean, no, even crazy. I mean, it's yeah. just, that's what people say. But a lot of times, you're not. I know me when I was going through it personally, mm-hmm. I was ashamed to talk about it. Right. I even in the even when they told me what I was going through, I still have it, had a hard time telling myself what I was going through. It's like, oh, really? Like, I didn't want to admit to it. So I think even people in their own process still have uh, their own stigma within them, them having it, you know, themselves. People that are calling that when you hear it in the community or whatever, that being called crazy, that is, is is it more just trying to make things lighter? Or is it really an no, insult? Actually, is no, it's it just a lack of information, too. Lack of sensitivity? Yeah, sensitivity, or just... information. It's just, like, it's just the easiest thing to say. I think that's okay. what we... For me, that's what I believe. I think it's just the easiest thing to identify Because if you're seeing with. somebody suffering, to call them crazy is obviously not... Helpful. You know what? Because I was just thinking about that. I was like, you know, we... Back in the day, you you would be like, oh, that's just my crazy senile on yeah. in the back and things like that. But we know better. It's now. more of the person themselves, okay. the fear that's that's coming from the person yeah. themselves, as as Katie said, of being labeled. Because in actuality, no one really called me crazy, or no one really said anything negative to me. But out of fear of not burdening them, so that I won't be called that. Right. Yeah. You know, the person themselves who are struggling holds back. I would actually disagree with you because I know you say, do we still say yeah. that? I would, we 100% say that. Okay. People still say that till this day. They yeah. uh, they say it behind people all the time, okay. well, you know, behind point. closed doors. It was just so, I mean, but in actuality, that person has gone through something and it's their story and it led them to, the, to that place. That voice. So I, I certainly agree with the fact that what we're talking about, the stigma and taboo, that it certainly helps to compound the symptoms and the experiences for the individual who is going through an episode or about or probably recently diagnosed with mental illness. And, you know, I actually do a presentation. It's called Taking the Boo Out of the Taboo, because mm-hmm. what I've often found is when it comes to the discussion of mental illness or suicidality, it's not necessarily the most comfortable conversation to have. It's not something that as a society, as a community, and even most often 
within families, a nuclear family, where we're accustomed to having this conversation, this dialogue. And so I absolutely would agree that terms like lunatic, crazy, nuts, or schizo, these are terms and labels that help to actually perpetuate a lack of understanding and more importantly, a lack of empathy. Because I always yeah. say as a practitioner, no one would choose to wake up suffering from mental illness if they had a choice. No one would choose that. So I think, you know, I just want to really impress upon the listeners that it calls for all of us to be a little bit gentler and a little bit kinder to really raise our level of awareness and understanding about the spectrum of mental illness and what people are really enduring on a day-to-day basis. I mean, it seems as though everybody knows somebody in their family or a good friend, you know, at least least one. Everybody's got at least one person who is suffering on some level from either depression or some form of mental illness. And so it seems like it's almost like a uh, almost a group phenomenon, you know, because one on one, I can't imagine if you, your loved one is or somebody you care about is suffering, then you're going to I would agree with call you. them a name or something. But, but I don't want to only dwell on that. But I just want to say, a lot of times, as you yeah. should say, in people's families, people yeah. a lot of times don't go to the doctor. So it's like right. So you know, it's, not, it's like you know that person is <laughs> something is clearly they have yeah. you know they have something going on, but no one is suggesting. And, yeah. yeah, and I think if you're suffering from anxiety and you're not getting it diagnosed and you're not dealing with it in a treatable way what do you do uh, to l- what? reduce the suffering what what are the easy fixes that's well, there's too many easy fixes well i know well, I eating go overeating overeating drinking okay i can talk about my experience let me just talk about my personal okay, experience because i think that might help yeah. for some people that are listening i know for me i remember i would eat a lot of sweets and it would like make me feel like really really good and then I would yeah. crash later. Or right. one thing that I would do, I would like drink coffee too, but that didn't help with my anxiety. <laughs> I would like shake. I would so. get like, it's seriously. And, and I realized, yeah. you know, the, the food that I was eating too yeah. was um, not, was not helping me out. So once I realized all of those different things, I had to change all of that. And I think diet is a definitely an important element to that healing process. I would absolutely agree with that. And I think what we're alluding to are what are some of the self-medicating mechanisms that people go to and that they lean on. And of course, food is one. But oftentimes we see individuals who have mental illness, they're also turned towards substance abuse, whether it be alcohol or some type of substance, because it really helps in that moment from what they can rationalize to sort of bring them to a a space of numbness where they don't have to feel that pain. And ironically these substances are actually more socially acceptable than dealing with you know depression directly you know i was i was different dealing with anxiety and as i was listening to giovanni's story that question at the end i kept wanting an answer from him like what do you do when it happens when that anxiety raises for me I could feel my nerves. An episode of anxiety, I feel my nerves, my nervosity changes, breaking out in sweats. And you're so gripped with fear. And anything that transfers through your mind in that moment becomes the truth for you, right? What do you mean? If I felt that the plane that I was on was going to go down, it becomes I was on a plane one day and I literally was going to go to the pilot to tell him he has to land this baby because I need to get and I'm but then now another thought is going through my head and I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to think I'm crazy. So now I'm battling between that and the and just fear grips you so much and your nerves are so bad and your mind, it's like a snowball. It it just rolls with that idea. And so through that, I ended up using logic is what helped me get through 
mm-hmm. um, anxiety. I would be logical and I would say, wait a minute, calm down. When you went through this the day before, you got through it. And immediately I could feel my nerves start to uh, mm-hmm. subdue. You sound like you have a mechanism in there that's very healthy, though. You're seeing more clearly in a way your, 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 your anxiety, but you're not recognizing your, your health side, too, because you have this part of you that's actually taking over, you know, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, I would agree to that. And I think something else that we can underscore is that mental illness, um, whether you're you're receiving the same diagnosis, it can manifest very differently among two people. So, for example, both Queeky and I are African-American females. But if I have a diagnosis of anxiety and if she mm-hmm. shares the same, it will manifest very, very differently. And what Squeaky had alluded to is that that she actually was able to draw on some coping mechanisms. Logic is a coping mechanism right. so that you can self-correct and interrupt the cycle. As a practitioner, one of the things that I've realized was very, very impactful among working with people who've been diagnosed, whether it's a longstanding diagnosis or new, is that just simply educating them about their symptoms, educating them about their triggers was so powerful for redirecting the course of how much they were really going to cycle in their mental illness. And for each person, they were on, you know, different points along that spectrum. But I found that to be so powerful as it relates to them having an understanding so they can have a little bit more agency over what was going on, because it can be a very scary experience. Hmm. my anxiety, I took Ativan. It was the best thing for me at that time. And sure. I, at that time, I say, because I don't take it now. I have other tools that I use, but at that time, it, it helped me out a whole lot. Right. Now I do a little bit more what Squeaky does, or what she did. And I, you know, I just use, I have all these tools. I meditate now. So, and that's very important. Mm. Sometimes certain things don't work mm-hmm. long term. Sometimes yeah. you have to pull something outside of that tool bag and use it depending on where you are in your life and your journey. As I say to people all the time, I'm still in recovery of my healing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's I tell people, you know, I'm still recovering, you know, because it's day to day. I've yeah. never been diagnosed, but I'll tell you, I used to teach a class on mental illness, and I would tell people that if we all took a step back and look at some of the symptoms, we are all a stone throw away from a full-fledged diagnosis. And so I think it's something that we want to normalize as it relates to, it's a part of fabric of the human experience, it's a part of fabric of our communities. At some point along our journey of just you know navigating life, we're going to endure some of these symptoms, but it's really about how do we raise our level of awareness and as KT mentioned, have a toolkit of resources. And coping skills are things that we're introduced to by way of childhood, our family experiences. Mm -hmm. So not everyone has the same resources in their toolkit. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you. Different resources are going to work for different people. It's it's interesting because it seems like there are more cases or more of depression and anxiety-related pathologies, what have you. And I'm I'm thinking, um, of course, in the general sense, it's less of a taboo than it was a generation ago. Certainly more two or three generations. So a lot of people are getting diagnosed more accurately nowadays. And so it seems like there's a widespread anxiety disorder culture we live in. I mean, half the kids in my kid's school seem to have some sort of disorder along the line of attention deficit, right? And I'm wondering if it's things that we're not tapping into, the fact that we're all too too media-centric. We're all watching screen. I mean, obviously this is simplifying, but if we had a quieter, simpler, you're doing meditation and it helps you. Yeah, and I have and a therapist th- as well. Talk therapy? Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, these things, though, are really calming. I mean, our minds need time just to be 
quiet. I can't imagine the the noise it helps the anxiety. I'm mean, I'm not talking about depression. I'm just talking about anxiety squeaky. You know, I honestly don't know what that you know where the break happened for me. I don't know yeah. what it was going on. I mean, I can tell you the circumstances around which that first panic attack or that first anxiety. You know, you can remember it. I I can clearly. remember very vividly what yeah. happened, but what triggered that or why it happened, I, I to date don't know. I do think it has a lot to do with how fast we are in this age. And, and, and it's an overload in the schools and how much, you know, the competitiveness in the schools and and right. uh, for, for children or, and there's so many things going on. It's so many things to do. And, you know, I do think the, it overwhelms and then there's a, a it's a break that happens because life is so fast. You know, it's That's just no wonder we're it's anxious. Overload. Yeah, it is. Overload. And it's, it's, we're in that age now. Yeah. I, I, I just think that again, I don't want to equate that with meaning more people are suffering from depression. That's reductive and simplifying it. But, you know, I think it does set off a certain level of anxiety all the time for we're all living in the, in an age we need to figure it out. Something. Dr. Boyce, you have do you have you have a practice? Do you, do you, yes, you, you, I, I, mean, I, I patients, do, and I'll speak say. to that briefly. I, I just want to mm-hmm. make a comment. My observations have been over the last seven to ten years that we're really not doing well socially and emotionally as a society. And when we think about the level of stimulants, you know, I often say that the human psyche is vulnerable, durable but impressionable. And so while we're being overstimulated constantly, children to adults, Mm -hmm. what space and or opportunity do we have to sort of decompress, process, restore, and renew? That's real. We're talking about wellness. And in the absence of wellness, you're going to see the presence of illness. And so as you talk about Definitely. Um, I, I would say, however, that there's still taboo. I think we've made strides, but there's still so there's more strides for us to make and more advancements in really understanding this, particularly because if someone is diagnosed with depression or schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, they're not particularly that label, the same as we wouldn't say, I am asthma or I am diabetes. Mm-hmm. And I see it happening um, through various forms of, of, of media and such. But right. I want to transition to respond to your question with well, respect thank to... thank you for that, by the way. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, to speak about my practice. So I have a socially innovative capacity building firm that's called Multiple Avenues to Success. And it's specifically designed to address social issues, including mental illness, community violence, trauma, several things, but specifically uh, focused on addressing social issues through social solutions. And the targets are really youth, adults, families, communities, and organizations. So it's very holistic. Um, In addition to that, there's an arm of the practice where I do have a private practice. And interestingly enough, because I think this aligns with Squeaky and KT's work, it's predominantly referral-based. Uh, Dr. B needs to work on her sanity and wellness as well, but I'm so committed to the community. Many of my referrals have been young African-American males who are in elementary and middle school. Oh, wow. Yeah, and yeah. it's been striking um, to see the amount of referrals, but also rewarding for me to be able to interrupt the disruption in their academic and or behavioral, social, emotional ails and to put them back on track by simply giving them tools, working with them and the family. So I just wanted to share that. As well. And you guys, you said, what was the film is called again? Face the, of uh, Darkness, face Journey of Dark- to Healing documentary. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is all about, again, how do we as a community, how do you start to remove these taboos? So I did watch the uh, the promotional, the promo. your, your promo. 
And so there's been a number of cases. And of course, we look towards famous people because, of course, quite a contrast to our assumptions about sick success mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. those people can't possibly be suffering. You know, this we know is not true. We've lost Robin Williams. We do cover this right. myth about the celebrity and yeah. and success right. and, and happiness because a lot of people assume that because you have money that one you're successful and and two that you're happy but success doesn't equate money what is success anyway success really i honestly believe success is being content in the moment that you are or that you've arrived in and so they can be a they can have a billion dollars and be just as unhappy and uncontent i mean you know not content with where they are so success for me i believe is the contentment that they find. And so our film, Face of Darkness, we do cover that aspect because so many um, celebrities are dying by suicide now. And more importantly, we talk about the, the, the stigma and, the, you know, the taboo and, and everything and all of that that's related that we've talked about here. However, our film is primarily about the journey to mm-hmm. healing mm-hmm. and finding because you know kt and i wanted to open up the the dialogue like we wanted to we wanted people to see real people who are struggling and talk about it so that we can take that away and um kt likes to say we want to see people become vulnerable because people are uh, attracted to the vulnerability and so that's what this film is about it's about showing the vulnerability so that people can draw to that and then and finally release and, and and open up that you know, that conversation. That's another thing. If you don't have your mental health, you will not thrive at anything no, that you do. Right. You, now, you, you can you can have great highs, but to be consistent and to really be effective, you really need to have tools to be able to maintain all of that because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's part of life. Mm-hmm. But what do you do when you're in that dark place mm-hmm. when you don't know, you have all these thoughts, you have all these this pain? Mm-hmm. What, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Who do you call? And I think that... Mm-hmm. Dr. Boyce. I, and you know what? Yes, definitely. <laughs> how do people find how do the people find the movie? We have a website, faceofdarknessdocumentary.com. Also, we have a um Facebook community. Our mm-hmm. Facebook community is we're there all day and we you know, we put out messages of inspiration. We put the pages to educate, to inform, mm-hmm. to um inspire. Mm-hmm. You know, and motivate people who are struggling with uh, mental illness. And you can maybe, yeah, you'll see there are other people. I I also wanted to um, speak to the point that we raised regarding suicidality. Thoughts of suicide, expressing an intent, expressing a plan. You know, it's something that I I would certainly say as a practitioner, you never get accustomed to hearing someone express suicidality. And for me, it's come up in my professional world as well as my personal world. So again, I just really want to underscore to the listeners that this is a part of the fabric of our communities and to encourage other young people who are exploring careers. We need more mental health practitioners of all races, of all cultures to be able to enter this field because it's critically important. As Katie said, if we don't have our mental health, then how are we really fearing individually as a people 
Um, I just want to share one quick story. I remember working with a young man and he was 15 and he was sharing with me, you know, Dr. B, every time I put my hand to something, it falls apart. And I said, well, you know, what do you mean? Give me an example. And he shared with me some things that he had attempted in terms of goals and dreams. And he said, um, you know, I tried to do this. It fell apart. I tried to do that. It fell apart. And I said, well, I think you should come back in tomorrow so that we can talk about this. Let me take a look and then we can create a plan as it relates to the steps that you're taking. Because of course we know what young people sometimes they have the big picture but they don't really break down break it down into goals and he said all right because it's you i'll come back in and i'll tell you he said but i'm telling you dr b everything i've touched has fallen apart even my mother said even even my mom has said it you're not going to be anything you're not going to be this and that very Mm. negative talk Mm -hmm. and as many times as i'd heard young people express thoughts of suicide this was the first time that i heard this young person say you know dr b if i was courageous i would have already have taken my life and my only response back to him was well i'm happy to know that you're not courageous. And in that moment, for me, that was transformational because it was a young person who was in this space teaching me about the perception of courage being attached to suicide. I'd never put those two together, ever put those two together, but that um, it's just critically important that we look after our young people. And I just want to underscore again, Mm -hmm. because we know the short was Giovanni's film. He did an excellent job that even with the, the, the increase in media access, and we've seen this happen happened time and time again with cyberbullying and young people opting to die by way of suicide. So we really want to be more vigilant as a society and community and looked after looked after each other as best we can. How do people find you, Dr. Boyce? I can be found at www.multipleavenuestosuccess.com. We'll be launching on February 1st, 2015. Great. Well, I appreciate you guys opening up and sharing uh, yourselves with me for the podcast. And uh, Thank uh, you for having us. I really appreciate that because it's people like yourself that create the space of safety and conversation. So I want to apply to you. Thank you for having uh, us. Well, thank you. But, but, but yeah, it's a thank pleasure. You. My pleasure. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, this, this is going to be worth it. This is, uh, once again, Catherine Gund. She's a terrific documentary filmmaker. She's got an A-list team here behind her on this documentary. And without any further hesitation, let's uh, get right into my conversation with Catherine Gund. In the Streb Lab for Action Mechanics, we experiment with the idea of extreme action. More velocity. Yeah. More risk. I think my original belief and desire is to see a human being fly. We were really in touch with how to keep ourselves safe. I think you have to get beyond the barrier of self-protection before you can really fly. I believed that I could do anything. Part of the deal is you walk into the room and you agree to get hurt. You might get a little hurt. It's like being invincible. And then suddenly, just one time. You would have never thought that that moment was going to cause such an injury, but it did. You, you sound great. My right. goodness. Well, uh, that's why I have to do it otherwise. Yeah. So um, we were at the IFP in 2013. 
mm-hmm. at the market. Mm-hmm. At the market, at, right. at, at uh, Lincoln Center. Yeah, yeah, sure. And we had a lot of interest. It was fun. The people from South by saw it then, and they mm-hmm. were thinking this would it would be a great place to premiere. And that's where we premiered. We oh, did our okay. international premiere at Sheffield, who we also met at South by. And that was also when Mike and Karen started taking a look at it for Film Forum. So we Mike premiered McCurry at South by. We did a bunch of festivals. We did, uh, what do you call it? I just said it, Sheffield. We went to Sheffield for our international premiere. Then right. we started our theatrical in New York at, at Film, Film Forum. Forum. Then we went to the NoHo Lemley, NoHo 7 in, in LA. For a week, we were yeah. in Portland. We were in San Beautiful. Francisco. We Fantastic. were in about 18 cities. Fantastic. Catherine. And it's, it's, is Catherine it gu- Gund. Gund? Gund? Okay, great. The digital distribution uh, must be coming up then. Digital, non theatrical, educational. Right. And education. And then, uh, yeah, DVD, home video, everything is beginning. Right. We have our PBS broadcast will be on May 11th on Say Independent what? Lens. This is on Independent. Uh, okay, great. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a great. Uh, and then Kino's getting it out and about. Today we got some interest from Singapore Airlines. <laughs> so it's making the rounds. So, so that what is that uh, uh, element of the distribution considered if you're if they're going to play it on their planes? Isn't that weird? Actually, we probably shouldn't talk about the planes too much because okay. one, I don't know anything about Let's it. Keep and it two, big. it doesn't seem like mm-hmm. anybody really Kino? has a plan about it. Uh-huh. Well, that's international, so that went through Films Transit, but okay. they we aren't sure if Kino is going to be doing it domestically. And do airlines care if they're a quote unquote? airline premiere i've never been on the airlines before but aside from the really the content, want somebody the title of the film is born to fly That's so right. i think it would make a spectacular airline documentary i would watch that on a plane i'm oh, always looking yeah. for something yeah. a little different, different than friends and modern family and, and yeah i agree with that yeah i agree with that i think it would make an ideal uh, airplane movie i agree yeah uh, so i want to kind of maximize that but then you start to wonder oh do we take this one and not that and they don't pay i guess very much but it will be on netflix as soon as the broadcast the first right. broadcast has happened well congratulations on all that and everything else the uh we're speaking with the filmmaker Catherine gund her film is called born to fly elizabeth Strip versus gravity so <laughs> see my, my memory starts to work real well I guess uh, Elizabeth Streb is the founder of a dance company, which is a very elastic term in this regard, calling it a dance company. But it is. It's just a new way of thinking of what dance can be, what it is. I agree. There are times when I don't want to use that word. I don't want to say sport. I don't want to say stunt. I don't want to say gymnastics. And then at other times, or art, and at other times I want to bring them all together and make them one. But sometimes, just what you were saying, that dance doesn't involve include this right now. But what if we were to say this is part of what dance is? It would actually explode the definition of that word instead of leaving the word a narrow meaning and staying outside of it. So I kind of weave around and try to jostle everybody's thoughts and ideas mm-hmm. by talking about it as whatever they don't expect. So if they're saying this is a circus, I say, but do you see the artistry? Doesn't it look different? Or, you know, this is dance. I say, but look at how athletic they are. It's really like... You know, triple yeah. flip in a in a half pipe on a snowboard. And yeah. why do we want to watch that? Or boxing? Or this, you know, what is it, the adrenaline, what draws us to somebody who's willing to physically put themselves at such a precipice? And I think all those questions inform how you would define any of those terms. 
How did you first hear about Elizabeth Streb? Well, I got to know her when I was in college. It's a long sort of boring story at that stage but the because she was a visiting professor my friend was in her class and Mm -hmm. he did come home at night and say just run really fast at the wall and don't hesitate don't pause just run into the wall and I was like I don't know what you're drinking but I didn't get any so you know I can't do that and this was all this kind of Elizabeth and this was before they had mats Mm -hmm. they weren't falling from as high but even if you do a pret fall you know for any of us who aren't dancers to stand and just fall onto the ground, forward certainly, backwards. That's what they're doing all the time, and they're training themselves how to do it. What happened to make the film is that I did have this experience where I was at an event of hers, and she is a friend. My kids have all taken her classes. We've known each other for years and years, and she asked me to drop a bowling ball down into the hands of Zaire Baptiste, who was going to catch it. And going through that experience of trusting him, of risking this, of thinking it was so simple and then realizing how complex it is to drop and catch and what that relationship is, that that's sort of the ultimate meaning of communication between two people. I throw something, you catch it. We we trust each other. We risk trusting and depending on yeah. one another. And so it was sort of in that experience, it was incredibly exhilarating, but also terrifying. I had climbed up a 35-foot truss and dropped this. And I thought I was going to hurt him. And I thought he he would drop it or he would hit someone else or something was going to go wrong. Um, And when I came down, Elizabeth started describing London, which was the seven pieces that she and her company did in one day in London in preparation for the Olympics. And it was all very secret because it was on public property and they had to be careful. So nobody really knew what it was going to be, but she just saw how excited I was about dropping this bowling ball. And she said, you should come to London with us. It was about six or eight weeks away. Mm -hmm. And she started telling me what they were going to do. And I just thought there's, I wanted to understand. I wanted to know more than I knew in that moment. And I wanted to know why I felt like that from Mm -hmm. this experience. I knew that None of us are pushing ourselves as far as we can go from my own experiences in college and as younger of like pushing myself to do triathlons and stuff like that, that we don't really go to the edge of our pain or of our physical capabilities. Well, speak for yourself. I just climbed four flights of stairs, so I don't know. (laughs) That may have been, that may have been it. But that's what I'm saying. Even that, you know, after six months of climbing five flights every day up and down in our building and carrying suitcases up and down. I was so nervous about it beforehand. I thought, we're not going to be able to do it, which is why I just clicked off so quickly. I was like, or you're going to have to walk because to me now it's not at the beginning. I'm so protective of us, everyone visiting, everyone mm-hmm. delivering something, mm-hmm. my kids meet, but we can all do a little more. And I think it behooves us. I think it informs us. It teaches us. And Elizabeth talks about this, although in her own provocative ways, but I do think you learn something that can be useful or is in some way worth knowing by pushing yourself or being at that kind of an edge. And I'm not a someone who's, you know, got a death wish or an adrenaline junkie or mm-hmm. what all these things that people will say about the athletes who go to the limit or even about these dancers or about boxers. But I, I wanted to know not only what these feelings were, but why people subjected themselves, if you want to use that word, or submitted themselves or why they engaged in these things. Well, Elizabeth is making herself do it, but she works with dancers who choose to do things she asks them to do. And 
sometimes it hurts. It often hurts them. Oh, yeah. Um, but they learn a lot from it, and they choose to do it. And so I wanted to explore that dynamic, too. I wasn't only interested in profiling an artist or a choreographer and seeing what made her tick. But she doesn't tick without them. Mm-hmm. She, they, it's, it's a very complex web being spun over mm-hmm. at the Slam Lab in Williamsburg. So that's why we made it. And even when I started, I didn't know what was going to happen. But after we had filmed London... We knew where it was going. We knew where it was going to end. London uh, was the climax of the film. the The performances that are that take place these very uh, landmarks, uh, land- mostly yeah, yeah. buildings. Mm-hmm. The was it London Bridge? No, it was no, it was on the Millennium Bridge, Bridge with those incredible lines, and right. they stood yeah. and yeah. with bungee cords. Well. What I realized too is that you could make a movie just of of London, but it wouldn't pack the same punch. It wouldn't have the same meaning as when you've gone through this process of exploring. And I mean, I hope Mm. this is what it means because otherwise my film isn't as necessary as I would Mm. like it to be. But, you know, you can know London, but you're never going to see it the same as you do after you've watched the movie. And part of that for me was because I feel whether we own up to it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, we're all very worried somebody's going to get tragically hurt. Mm -hmm. And when you see this work, I don't think you can suppress that that's at least one of the questions rumbling around in your heart or your body or your head, and you're worried. And so in the film, in addition to establishing her as an artist and a part of a community and in relationship to these dancers, it tries to follow that to its logical finish, which is that you go to the accident that is the worst accident she's ever had in her company. And we instead of shying away from it or poo-pooing it or ignoring it, we face it head on. This is uh, when uh, one of the female dancers broke her back. Yes, she did. On a very simple action, Mm -hmm. actually. But she landed in a plow. And so she breaks her back. She has pins put in her back. She can walk, which is a testament, I think, mostly to her fitness. Right. If she hadn't been in such great shape to begin with, the yeah. probably the results would have been well, far more Well, she said tragic. that the doctor yeah. said she, everyone who comes in with this is paralyzed. She's not paralyzed, but she can't dance, and she does have yeah. these pins still in her back and these steel rods that she probably will never be able to remove. Mm-hmm. And she's five years away from the accident, and her interview, I thought, was the most magical, generous, enlightened statement and place to be. She was not expressing anger and bit- right. bitterness which anybody has a full right, whatever, not that she needs to ask us what her rights are, but she could feel those things, and she had talked about having felt those earlier. Sure. But she was able to locate this, and whether it's how you describe love or art or, you know, any kind of magic thing, it's there aren't words for it, but I think it helped us get to a point where she just said, you don't get this every day, whatever that thing is. And she, she said, I didn't have it before Streb, and I haven't had it since then. And so it was yeah. worth it. Do people develop a need to feel protective around what Elizabeth, who, Elizabeth herself, as well as what she's doing? Because I haven't heard her come under fire or anything for it. But, you never but have? I haven't because I, I wasn't familiar with the dance company right. before the because movie. Because she certainly, she says to me, she's never, she got that one good review in the Times on the first time she performed at the gig. <laughs> and she has been slammed. Left and right. And is the vocabulary, I have to say, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> the vocabulary they use is really limited. And I'm hoping that this film has helped expand mm-hmm. the way. Pe- and she said even her, it was reviewed in The New Yorker. And, mm-hmm. you know, she wasn't reviewed in The New Yorker 
other times. And I think part of what is important to me about the movie is that she does represent someone who has not faced great celebration and accolades every step of the way. And she persevered. And she stayed doing what she knew she wanted to do and needed to do, not that it might be what you or I would like or that we think is good or bad, but she stuck to whatever it was she was about, despite all these terrible reviews forever bad everywhere and they would use a huge picture even up to last year they used a half page picture top half of the art section in the new york times of her dancers performing this beautiful piece human fountain at the delacourt theater as part of the dance festival and then in the review it calls her out as being bad and you're thinking yeah but it's not so bad that you didn't choose to use that beautiful picture yeah that moved you and your editors Right. To it's think that story. was the way to right. draw attention. F- so she's really, yeah. and then she certainly, when dancers leave, they do struggle with her, many of them, you, they, and have some of them publicly. And so I don't, I wouldn't, I think she would laugh if yeah. I asked her if she felt protected by her dancers. On the other hand, the dancers who are in the company and Elizabeth at any given time are very close and very protective of each other. Because they're risking a lot, mm-hmm. physically and emotionally, mm-hmm. with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, they all have separate outside relationships. And Elizabeth makes a big point out of not crossing certain lines with them. She says, I don't want to know where you live. I don't want to know who your partners are, or your lovers, or your spouses. I don't want to meet them. <laughs> She's not going to cross that line with them because Mm -hmm. she wants to make but she says on the other hand she couldn't be closer to them in some ways because they're putting their lives in her hands Mm -hmm. and so i think in that way they part of the magic is the the tribe that they've concretized that they've created and glued together and that they maintain i mean what will be interesting is this current group is so strong But you always have to wonder, and she gets mad when anyone raises this, but you do get older, and your body doesn't necessarily function in the way it did, and you can't pull off certain things that she might want you to do without being debilitated, you know. Sure, sure, of course. Unmobilized. Yeah. The um, choreography is not just a simple matter of a stunt or the work of of some sort of athletic it's not just an athletic act or feet, yeah, feet exactly, yeah. but it is actually interacting with violent. <laughs> it's there's an engagement with with heavy equipment or with falling. I mean, these are things you're actively engaging with potential accidents and problems yeah. like that with I beams and things like that. And we're in a, we're like a the cement blocks. A, yeah, the cement block swinging. Um, all choreography depends on precision. But this is where the outcome of, of not being precise can be uh, really, really dangerous. So that's why that's I think part they of, need but that's to part stay of the, so focused. Yeah, and but that's also part of what the stories are, what the the dances are. It's not it's that engagement which doesn't exist in most other dance companies or. Right, it's about time. Yeah, a, 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 there's a relationship it's, to time that's different. But even if you go to a let's say a more conventional circus. And there's a trapeze artist or or a high wire, you know. Yes, there there would be an accident if they fell, and often there might be a protective net or something, and there may not always be. But that that would be a a mistake. Here we're talking about where you're you're like asking the floor to you know meet you in a way. Well, that's right? exactly what Elizabeth says is the difference between yeah. her and circus, is that she focuses on the landing. She doesn't 
shy away right. from including exactly. good way to the landing it, yeah. as part of the action yeah. and in actually engaging it. And how you said it is beautiful that she's asking the floor to come up and yeah. meet the bodies yeah. as opposed to people who just want to see the flight. So what do we learn? What's a takeaway from this engagement? I mean, is it certainly seeing how far the body can go, how focused one can be in the moment? I think and, it know, is also, to me, about really maximizing our moments in oh, okay. life. Uh-huh. So my focus isn't on how far can my body go as much as how far can my brain go. Yeah. And remembering to interrupt all my habits, all the, not do anything the same every single day. Mm-hmm. Because who need, why do you need to do anything mm-hmm. the same every day? What a bore. And then, you know, we were just saying it. You get older and you start wondering, well, maybe I should have been running against walls or jumping from planes or helicopter skiing or whatever it is that you imagined once and never did. You know, that there's or just using our bodies more or our brain, like go out and do what you want to do instead of getting up and going to the same job every day and thinking someday it'll be different. Mm-hmm. You got to start with today. And I feel like that's the magic to me. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between circus. It is, you know, it's, there's such hard words to use, but mm-hmm. to me, that's art. That's mm-hmm. the artistry. That's the art of living. That's what distinguishes her from the athletes. Yeah. And it's what distinguishes her from the circus. So my takeaway is to try, wish that everybody would be as brave yeah. about how we live our lives really brave and try to be as smart and savvy and in community as possible so that we can make the most, not just off by ourselves somewhere, but working with people like making the movie even, you know, just sort of believe in it and risk it and try it. And if it doesn't work that time or it doesn't look the same, I mean, that was another huge thing she taught me is I thought she'd be so upset if something went wrong or that she'd be heartbroken or she'd think that her precision was so exacting that I was afraid of Mm -hmm. seeing when it failed, quote unquote, failed. And for example, the Millennium Bridge was supposed to be 16 dancers, eight on each side. And it rained and rained and rained and rained. This is in London. London, It rained every single day except the day of the performance. You'll notice in the movie, there's Mm -hmm. like sunlight at some points. It did not rain. So it's raining and raining and the riggers said, we can't put up the rig on the Millennium Bridge in the rain in the middle of the night, which is what they had to do. Too dangerous. We'll slip. We'll fall off the bridge. So they didn't put it up. They were supposed to do it four days before, three days. They couldn't do it the eve before the show. He said, I'm going to do what I can. And she said, I need at least eight, one side. And we didn't know until we woke up in the morning. And we woke up in the morning and they said, we got seven rigs on one side. And I just thought that was the end and instead the dancers figure out which ones are going to do it they get up there they go and do it and it is all it could ever have been 16 Mm -hmm. would have been insane it would have been so cluttered and i just can't imagine it now and eight would have been too symmetrical there wouldn't have been a middle piece there wouldn't have been this or that it wouldn't have been these dancers it wouldn't have been these bodies it would have been something well again it's being in the moment of what's going on right and it's loved it yeah yeah she loved it she never once said, oh, yeah. forget it. Let's right. just not do it. It's not my vision. Yeah. And it's the same with the choreography on the wheel. So they're all in the London Eye, and they had this whole thing of every 15-minute grouping, every quarter of the circle was supposed to go through different moves at different times. And some of the people went all the way out to the edge. And some changes happen. That piece is so 
I mean, it still makes me cry when you see Cassie. Cassie reaches, at one point has her legs on the spoke, and she just reaches her hands yeah. up over her head. And you just, that is the most liberating image and of a picture of freedom that you could find. I mean, it makes me, and partly because you know who she is, and you know that she's human, and you've seen her, and you've talked to her, and you've met her girlfriend, you saw her with her friends, and you saw her try things, and it just, that moment, I thought, God, if we all need to feel like that. It would be a better world if everybody yeah. had some, not just the bravery, but the wherewithal to get something that they deserve if they're going to live this life. Like, I think people deserve more than they have for the most part, more than they can achieve, more than they have achieved. And to get people motivated enough to find that and do it, mm -hmm. whatever it looks like, would be huge. Also, one other very notable aspect of the film is uh, there is an A-list team behind this film. I mean, just to mention a few, because they've mostly been on my program or I've had uh, the opportunity to meet. You have uh, an editor. You have uh, yeah. Alex Melier, who is a, a friend. He was That's... incredible. I mean, he was... Uh, it's, yeah. Because the narrative I was describing was really, we hashed that out day in, day out, where you'd get to a point where... Deanne talks about breaking her back and suddenly none of the viewers have any of this. Mm -hmm. You're freed from all your concerns and worries about injury and pain and you can just submit to mm -hmm. this London material. And that's what I was saying. You see it in a different way, I think. And he he's a genius. It was my first time working with him. I hope it's not my last. It was a pure pleasure to work right. with him. And he's a great guy. And, and then, he did, yeah, yeah. He's funny and smart. Yeah. But he, um, the opening graphics with the dance and her drawings... If we'd had another few weeks, we probably would have done some more. Right. He's Doc OIC. I, I moderated a uh, panel on animation with him. Yeah. Oh, and did he show the opening of this at that? He may have. I think he did. Because he, he was talking know, about it. Something, yeah. you know. And then also, uh, cinematography-wise, you have Kirsten Johnson, who the has genius. literally been on the front lines <laughs> as, a, as a camera person and a DP. In, just nominated just, again for Citizen Four. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sure. she's in yeah. Myanmar now shooting her own film, which I can't wait to see. We'll see what that is. Yeah. Uh, and then on... She also went yes. to Brown. <laughs> okay. It all began at Brown. Yeah. No. At college. That's just where I met Elizabeth. Year. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Uh, uh, just a few... Sh well, she she was visiting, as you said, right? What, what, Elizabeth uh, was a visiting artist. Right. Kirsten and I were in the same grade. I see. Uh, and then um, uh, also uh, probably uh, in the same grade uh, at Brown was Al Mazels. Who... <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> um, just, just 60 or 40 years earlier. No, Al Mazels, his holiday party was yesterday. He is such a dream. It. And I feel that mm -hmm. Al Mazels, not only did he film the day, he just filmed on that day. He was one of what ended up being five cameras because Kirsten wasn't in London. Essie Casey came over from here and Al came from here. Essie also shot some here. Um, and actually, Alex and I made some extras for the DVD, and some of them are scenes, deleted scenes, and some of them are archival dances, and a couple of them mm -hmm. are the London extended pieces, including Speed Angels, the one outside the National yes. Theater, when the three are going up and down on the high-speed winches in certain order doing these moves and al would say at the beginning of each thing he wasn't at millennium bridge but the rest of the day he was there and he would pick where he wanted to be and we would find a chair and he would sit and he would film and his filming of speed angels 
is so extraordinary, and we use mostly his camera, and we make a full length. It's, you know, five minutes for the extras for the DVD. But I think that not only is his footage from London in it, but his approach to listening for the small moments and waiting and being patient and letting information and importance reveal themselves instead of predicting it, not following the action, which you can see in the Speed Angels piece. He he holds it, mm. and then someone drops in the frame and, mm. yeah. and shoots out. Everybody else is going like this, right? you know, up yeah. and down. So it, it did permeate it, and he is um, a special mentor for many of us. It was a joy to be there and have all these people keep coming up to him and of, you know, right, including our crew from London who didn't know he was going to be there. But it just means the world to me that he was a part of this. And it was because actually the day after I dropped the bowling ball, I was at an event. He was giving an award to my daughter who was in my previous movie. And he said, so what are you up to now? And I said, I think I'm going to go to London. This woman's going to walk down that round golf ball city hall and mm-hmm. jump off the bridge. And he just literally 85 years old said, I want to go. Mm-hmm. I was like, you do? We can make that happen. So we did. And he came along, and it was huge just to have his imprimatur as well as mm-hmm. some of his footage in those final minutes. Wow. And then we also had Adam Crystal from Fisher Spooner was our um, composer. Oh, okay. And he I got nominated know. for a, a music award for it. It was extraordinary to work with him, too. He had also done the music for my previous film what's on your plate but this one gave him a lot more to work with in terms of the visuals and sort of the artistry behind the content of the film the subject of the film was Mm -hmm. art and Mm -hmm. we were working with alex millier so it was you know yeah there it was and i love the music in the movie well again the film is called born to fly elizabeth strip versus gravity and it's uh one to catch as soon as you can should be available. And, and I, I guess, with the, like you said, there'll be an educational, uh, there's educational distribution. and There's educational distribution going and, now. Yeah. I don't know if this is going to be up soon or not. You can just cut yes, this out. This will be part, no, no, this is part of it. It is going to be at Dance on Camera, February 1st, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. It was just at Symphony Space. It'll be back, but people should check out borntoflymovie.com mm-hmm. for any screenings that are upcoming, as well as information about when the DVD will be available. It's going around to universities now. I just got back from the Houston Cinema Arts Festival. We were there. Elizabeth's been heroic. I'm going to the Wexner. She's here, though, right? She's in, she's she's in Williamsburg. She's a block away. Oh, she is? Yeah. Okay. I mean, her uh, slam is in Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, right. Gotcha. Thank you very much, Catherine. And it was a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. And come Thank to you your... for having me on. <laughs> of course. Let's do it again. Yeah. yeah. we got to make another movie fast. We have a couple in mind. But good. Yeah. You know it's a good thing if you're that eager to get back up Sure, and and you know you wanna you wanna take advantage of uh, still uh, mobile, mazels and all all those folks because you know, if you can get it back on the camera, that's a good thing. That's a good point. <laughs> One should work around that, but it is an advantage. <laughs> Thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to episode number 269 of the podcast. You know, of course, the best way to get the show is is to get onto the iTunes and subscribe. I'm going to tell you, I got to get more of you guys to... 
go to the iTunes and, and go on and, and leave a comment, you know, and, and to, to leave a star rating. I got to get more of you guys to do it. I, I can't say how important it is. So please, 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 if you're, you're, you might already be at home or at the, I don't know, at, at, at the office. I understand if you're walking around outside or if you're at the gym or you, you can't do it, you know. But if you're at home on your computer and you have iTunes on it, which you do, it really only takes 10, 20 seconds to do this little request and that is to please go to iTunes search film wax put a comment there there's a there's a couple of tabs where you can leave a comment and a star rating and it just takes a minute no it doesn't even take that long just leave a few words like love the show hate the show could do you could do better you can't do any better. Whatever you want to say. I, I, I mean, you know, it's all good. And then leave the star rating. The star rating, of course, just helps the show get further up this never-ending pyramid, you know, that, that all of us podcasters are climbing to get to the top of the pyramid so that peop- more people find us. It's, uh, it's, it's how we survive. So please, 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 just, just, just go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. And then you can write me at adamatfilmwax.com and let me know you did it. Or you can find me on Facebook. I'm on there. So is the Facebook. There's a Filmwax Radio Facebook page. There's a, we're on Twitter. You can go to at Filmwax Radio. People are doing it. Thank you for that, by the way. I read all your emails. I read all the tweets. Thank you. Thanks for thinking of me. I, I, I can't even remotely express how much it means to me. So thanks for that. When I run into you and you say hello and you listen to the show, I I kind of play it. I don't even know how to play it. Can't play cool. I'm 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 blown away that people know about it, listen to it, and care about it. It's all fantastic. Think about it if it were you. So, think about something you care about, love, or feel passionate about, and that you want to, and that you do, and that people stop you and say, "That's fucking great." means it's it's just it's just you know it's a legacy it's my legacy it's one of my legacies i have a kid i won't say that that's you know the show is more of a legacy but it's up there so thank you for thank you for that but, but go, if you haven't done it go 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 to itunes and and share share the show um I'll be back in a few days again. I think Kaveh's Kaveh Kaveh's a Hades on the next. Show. I think he's on the next show. Kaveh has been on several episodes in the past. He's never boring. This is a great long show. It's going to be sponsored by Fandor. He's got a new web series about getting stoned with filmmakers. He's done one with Alex Karpovsky and Andrew Bajalski, both of whom have been on this show. Andrew has a new uh, uh, film at uh, Sundance. It's supposed to be fantastic. What is it, what is it called? It's about the it's about these people that get into working out or something. It's weird. I don't know. Guy Pierce is in it. It's supposed to be great. It's already been acquired, so we'll have Andrew back on in a few months, no doubt, if that long. Thank you for listening, everybody. 
Your host is Adam Shartoff. The name of the show again, Film Wax Radio. We're presented by Rooftop Films. Godspeed. Thank you. Good night, everybody. How could she reject me? Send me on my way. How could she suspect of leading her straight? I met her accidentally. And I asked to see her fall. She told me she wouldn't mind. Wrong. Hide it, hide it, hold.